from the Heidelberg Catechism we read together, Lord's Day 52. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. Will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. How do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you because as our king, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name should so receive all glory forever. What does the word amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain. For God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of him. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you familiar with the hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers? The first verse goes as follows. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe forward into battle. See his banners go. And the refrain is, Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. This hymn is based on an important scriptural truth. It teaches us that we're involved in a spiritual battle under the banners of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see yourself as a Christian soldier? Do you know that there's a battle going on? Do you recognize the devil, this world, and your own sinful flesh as enemies? Are you fighting the good fight of the faith? With what weapons are you arming yourself? These are some of the questions that come up when considering the sixth petition and the doxology of the Lord's Prayer. The last part of the Lord's Prayer teaches us we're involved in a spiritual battle that we need the help of Christ, our victorious King. In the sixth petition we pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This petition relates directly to the enmity that exists between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. In it we pray that our Heavenly Father will help us withstand the attacks of the evil one. In the doxology of the Lord's Prayer, we pray, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. With these words, we acknowledge Christ as our King, that he has power over all things. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we're assured that our Heavenly Father can and will help us 
in our spiritual warfare. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Christ teaches us to pray for our Father to preserve us in our spiritual warfare. We'll consider Satan's temptations, Christ's victory, and our confidence. Are we aware that there's a spiritual war going on? When Eve was tempted in paradise, she experienced a serpent talking with her. The serpent questioned God's promises and caused her to doubt God's love and faithfulness to her. The serpent presented her with a temptation. Eat the tree and your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When we read this passage, we know that it was Satan tempting Eve. But did she? Satan came in the form of a serpent. Who he was and what his intentions really were was hidden from Eve. Satan is a master of disguise. Often he attacks us without us really realizing that he's behind the temptation or the attack. Take the situation of that righteous man, Job. When we read Job 1 and 2, we know what happened behind the scenes. We know of the heavenly dispute in which Satan claimed that, God ser- that Job served God out of self-interest. We know that Satan received permission to take away Job's riches and later to take away his health. But Job didn't know any of this. Job faced extreme hardships and adversity. His wife told him to curse God and die. His friends accused him of some hidden sin in his life. Job didn't understand why all these terrible things had happened to him. Again, Satan was working quietly in the background. Yes, there was indeed a great battle going on for Job's soul. But Job didn't realize how or why he was being attacked. In many and various ways, Satan attacks us in our lives. And most of the time, we don't even realize he's at work. He uses our sinful nature with its evil desires. He uses this world with its many temptations. He baits his hooks and sees which ones will bite. But he does his utmost to stay in the background, to prevent us from knowing that he's active in our lives. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14 says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He disguises himself so that when we do his will, we often don't even realize it. Many Christians are unaware of the fact that we're fighting a spiritual war. Somehow we're blinded to Paul's teaching in Ephesians 6, verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, other people, but against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this, dark, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So often we're distracted by the daily affairs of life, And we lose sight of what has value in eternity. Our life is but a tiny speck on the timeline of eternity. 
And yet we often jeopardize eternal life for the sake of a few earthly pleasures. Beloved, we need to be aware of the fact that a war is being fought over our souls, that our actions in this life have eternal consequences. In John 12, verse 31, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. This term indicates that Satan has a position of mastery on earth. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Satan's power in this world is real. Also today, we need to be aware of the battle in which we're engaged. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's a spiritual war going on, and we're involved in it, whether we realize it or not. So how does Satan attack us? He will use this world and the desires of our sinful flesh to try to turn us away from God. James speaks about this in James 1, 14 and 15. He says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. In these verses, we see the way in which we're often led into temptation. The way of sin leading to death can be summarized in a number of steps. It starts with our sinful thoughts and desires. Over a period of time, we can fall into a sinful pattern of thinking about something. At that stage, we're vulnerable. All that's required is an opportunity for sin. When faced with such an opportunity, we're already weakened to the point that we find ways to justify what we're doing. And then we fall into sin. At times, we not only fall into sin, but we also allow that sin to dominate our lives. We begin to live in recurring sin. The result of a lifestyle of sin is a hardening in sin. And ultimately, that leads to death. Just think of how Satan tempted Eve in paradise. He twisted God's words. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Satan cast doubt in Eve's mind about God's faithfulness when he said, you shall not surely die. He scattered half-truths in Eve's mind and awoke desire in her heart. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. For Eve, the main battle was not with the physical thing, with the fruit hanging from that tree. She'd walk straight past it many days while tending the Garden of Eden. The main battle was with what went on within her, with the doubts Satan planted in her mind and the desires he awoke in her heart. So Satan works in our hearts and lives too. He likes to plant seeds, hoping that they'll later bear fruit, provoking thoughts and desires within us that are contrary to the will of God. Some people struggle to find love, to find acceptance, to feel good about themselves. 
and then we're vulnerable. Satan can tempt us to enter a relationship with an unbeliever. Sometimes we struggle with lust, with advertising, TV shows, social media, movies, pornographic sites. Satan has a lot of opportunity to feed that lust, to cause it to burn hot. Some have faced situations where they feel there's been an abuse of power by those in authority, causes resentment against those in positions of authority. Then we become anti-authoritarian in our attitudes, no longer recognizing or respecting our parents or teachers or elders, the police or the government that God has put over us. Those attitudes are fed by much of today's popular music, by much what comes out of Hollywood. Through such things, Satan sets us up so that when the situation arises, we rebel against those whom God has given charge over us. The Apostle John warns us in 1 John 2 not to love the things of this world. Yet so often we set our hearts on earthly things, our focus on getting what we want, whether that be material possessions or status or happiness. And then Satan uses our desires to tempt us. Our greed and covetousness display themselves in that we become workaholics or in the fact that we're never satisfied, that we always want more. And so we end up striving after things that ultimately have no lasting value. So often, beloved, we don't even realize where and how Satan's attacking us. Remember, he's the master of disguise. Satan's the father of lies. He helps us believe all kinds of excuses we make to justify our wrongs. Do you ever catch yourself thinking or saying one of the following statements? Everyone else is doing it, so why can't I? Or what I did is not really so bad. Or I deserve a little happiness too, you know. Or if he or she had done such and such, I wouldn't have done this. These are excuses. They're rationalizations we use to try avoid responsibility for our sin. There's a great temptation for us to conform to the ways of this world. Are we any less affected by the rat race than our unbelieving neighbors? Why is it that our lives have become so busy? Are we setting the right priorities? How many of us spend less than an hour a day listening to radio or music or reading the newspaper or watching TV or browsing the internet? And beloved, in comparison, how much time do you spend reading the Bible, praying, and singing? While we don't have much difficulty devoting an evening to sports or entertainment, why is it that it's a struggle to make it to Bible study? If you understand how our mortal enemies wage war against us, trying to capture our souls, then you'll see the need for prayer. 
Christ taught us to pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's two parts to this petition. In the first, we ask God not to allow us to be tempted, to spare us the attacks of Satan, the evil desires of our flesh. And yet there are times when we'll still be tempted. And so in the second part of this petition, we pray for deliverance, that God allows us to see how we're tempted, that he grants us his grace and spirit to resist, that he provide a way of escape. Knowing our sins and weaknesses, it would not be surprising if some of you are rather discouraged right now. We all know that at times we fall into the snares of the devil. There are times when we're faced with persistent sin in our lives. Again and again we're tempted and we struggle with the same sin. Or perhaps we're faced with a certain character trait that we fight hard against, but sometimes it still rears its ugly head. Hearing about Satan and his power and a sneaky way of attacking and knowing about our sinful desires can make us despondent. At times we think we'll never triumph in our spiritual battle. Yet we will. We deal with this in our second point. And I will consider Christ's victory. For the most part, Genesis 3 is a pretty depressing chapter in that it details our fall into sin and the brokenness of our communion with God. But already in this chapter, the gospel message comes through. In Genesis 3, verse 15, the Lord God made a very rich promise to Adam and Eve. Speaking to the serpent, the Lord said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. And so immediately after the fall into sin, the Lord promised salvation. He spoke about the enmity there would be between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. There is a dividing line that runs through human history between the followers of Satan and the followers of God. In Genesis 3, verse 15, the Lord promised that a child in Eve's line would come who would crush Satan's head. Remember that Satan came into the garden as a serpent, a snake. A snake likes to get you by biting you in the heel, but you kill it by crushing its head. God promises that Christ would come to do that, to crush Satan, to defeat him, to destroy his power. In the Old Covenant, the Lord showed Israel's victory over the heathen nations in a dramatic way. When Joshua led them in war against the Canaanite nations, you can read of that in Joshua 10, verse 24. After battling against five of the kings and their armies, Joshua and his men captured the five kings in a cave. He called the captains of his men of war. He commanded them to put their feet on the necks of those kings. It symbolized their power, their victory over their enemies. Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. 
spiritually. That is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Through his death on the cross at Golgotha, Jesus has won the victory over Satan. He crushed his head. Satan has been dealt a mortal blow from which he cannot recover. In Psalm 110, David foretold the victory God would give to his son. He said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Peter quotes this first verse from Psalm 110 in his Pentecost address. He speaks about God making Jesus' enemies a footstool for his feet to assure the people of Israel that Jesus truly came as Lord and Christ. As God's children, redeemed by grace, we have been set free from the mastery of the devil. While it's true that Satan has dominion over this world, he does not have mastery over the children of God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that Satan's rule over us is broken. 1 John 3 verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In Colossians 1.13, Paul says that Christ has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. That's the words Joshua spoke to his men of war apply to us in our spiritual battle. We don't need to be afraid or to be discouraged. Instead, we may be strong and courageous, for the Lord will destroy all our enemies against whom we fight. How do we know that, beloved? Because this is promised us also after the coming of Christ. Paul wrote about this in Romans 16. He speaks comforting words about our victory in Christ. Words pointing back to Genesis 3 verse 15 and pointing forward to the time when Christ returns. Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We still live in this world. We are still faced with the temptations of Satan and the evil desires of our flesh. Although Christ currently reigns as king over heaven and earth and all that's in them, he still allows Satan some leeway to do his work on earth. But Satan's time is short. Christ is coming back soon. Then Satan and all his hosts will be completely vanquished. And we, as God's children, will attain the complete victory. In the time that God gives us on this earth, we're commanded to fight the good fight of the faith. That's something we cannot do in our own strength. Who are we to stand up against an enemy as powerful and as cunning as Satan? Of ourselves, we cannot. It's why Christ taught us to pray. Prayer is one of the central weapons that God has given us to help us fight in our spiritual warfare. God will give his grace and the spirit 
only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. Beloved, we may at all times come before God in prayer, laying our needs before him and seeking his help in the midst of difficult circumstances. Our Savior, who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, has promised to intercede for us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. For with Christ's power and might, we can stand strong in our spiritual warfare. It brings us to our final point, and it will consider our confidence. In the doxology of the Lord's Prayer, we confess, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This ending of the Lord's Prayer teaches us that God is our King. He has the power to grant us the things we ask of Him. Our Father is both willing and able to give us all that's good. He will grant us everything we need to stand firm in our spiritual battle. Our Heavenly Father will do this for the sake of Christ Jesus, our Lord. For Jesus has paid for all our sins with His precious blood, he has set us free from all the power of the evil one. The Father has given Christ all authority in heaven and on earth. He has the power to defend us from Satan's attacks. If Jesus says so, Satan cannot lay a finger on us. And if our Lord allows Satan to attack us, he will preserve us through the midst of all his temptations. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, Paul assures us that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape. Our Lord has made rich promises to assure us of our final victory. In John 10, 27 to 29, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Paul comforts us in Romans 8:37, saying that in all our struggles we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He tells us that neither angels nor demons nor any power will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The kingdom and the power and the glory belong to Jesus Christ. As the angels sing in Revelation 5 verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. As the heavenly multitude sings in Revelation 19, verse 1, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. We may be assured of the outcome of our spiritual warfare because Jesus Christ is our eternal Lord and King. Beloved, when we say amen at the end of our prayers, we utter a victory shout. 
Amen is a confession of faith. By speaking this small word, we proclaim that the words of our prayer are true and certain. We're saying that God has much more certainly heard our prayer than we feel in our heart that we desire this of him. That's the confidence we may have when we pray. Confidence that God has heard our prayer for the sake of his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Trusting that he will uphold us in our spiritual warfare and so that we may stand strong in the power of our Lord. The assurance that he will take care of us that we may take hold of the crown of life that has been promised to us. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing Psalm 20.